tips, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome to episode 99 of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast, folks. We're almost at episode 100. That's, we, we should plan a party. 99 problems and... 99 episodes of Podcast on the Wall. 99. Never mind. Anyway, I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined tonight by Uncle Mark and Charles. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Woo! Joke never, Good to be back. Joke never gets old. Except it's usually <laughs> Jason uh... that uses it. He didn't join us tonight. Maybe he'll show up in the middle of the show and just like, you know. Someone someone had to carry Jason's water just like on that one. skate in and, you know. Well, you know, it's Yo, the old four, it's Jason, the old four host mess problem. Up your video formatting yeah. by jumping in in the middle yeah. and make Zencaster melt the heck down. Yeah, right. I wonder what would happen if someone joined while we're recording. Would it just like, oh, ah, we're going to stop? And yeah. Oh well, you know, it would stop the friggin' recording. Yeah, of course. So you'd it lose would. the individual. You'd lose the individual streams. We know that. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened yeah. when his power dropped last time. So let's not let's not push it. Yeah, you weren't here, Charles, but yeah, his uh, his power blipped in the middle of our last episode. Jason's did, and uh, Zencaster just like had a fit, <laughs> stopped recording. Wait, wait. It's like you're you're telling me that network engineer Jason doesn't have his desktop and internet on a UPS. Well, no, he didn't drop. It was like his. I guess his his. I guess the laptop wouldn't have been on the UPS. Maybe it was. I don't know, uh, but. His his camera, his monitors, all that stuff must not have been on the UPS because they all dropped. But he stayed connected. It's just that the audio input that he was on dropped, right? And Zencaster well, recovered, but it stopped recording. <laughs> that's an interesting question. I'll bet you my camera is not on the UPS. Mine's just powered via USB, so mine is. Well, I think mine is. So, but I think the problem is the USB might be coming off the monitor. Valid. If the mount, well, yep, yep. That's that's I'm probably gonna, what happens. I'm not going to pull. I'm not going to pull the mains to test. Yeah, let's hold on. Let me just. I got to try something. <laughs> <laughs> Am I still here? All right. So anyway, I think there's a monster trying to get in my door. Anyway. <laughs> Well, so yeah, you're 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 the people in your house have no concept of boundaries. I mean, you're right. you have to have at least one offspring burst in every podcast. Oh, it'll happen. I guarantee it'll happen. They're out. They're it's off. Good. It makes them it makes them more relatable. Yeah, they're off. Uh, they're off getting ice cream right now. So when they come back, there will be probably oh, a six year old okay. covered in ice cream that comes. In. <laughs> <sighs> no doubt. <laughs> Looking for her tablet. <laughs> All right. So oh, anyway. Yeah uh episode 99 i can't believe that all right so tonight the plan is charles a little epiphany about that aren't you yeah i know like well wow we're gonna turn this into a significant number yeah well i mean it's not i guess it's not that much more significant 99 well actually it aligns pretty well with our topic since we're talking sort of about reliability indeed wait does that really got two nines man two nines Two nines, two nines reliability. Good. <laughs> two nines doesn't seem like a good reliability. Well, though. I mean, it's better than than one nine. Hmm. <laughs> True. True. All right. So, and do you count the nines in front of and behind the period, or it's just the nines past? Oh, the so it's just point nine nine. Is that what you're suggesting? 
No, I don't know. Like when you say five nines, is that ninety nine point nine nine nine? Yeah, that's what that... that is. I think that's the implication. It's supposed yeah. to be. That'd be pretty interesting if you said you had five nines, but the number in front of it to the left is like eighty. Yeah, eighty point nine 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 nine. Nobody still got five nines. <laughs> there was a there's a user friendly comic about this. Are are we are we going like are people just going to lose us at this? It point? could like, be. The, it could be. No, the, talking about the, the joke was that that the, the guy in their marketing department had gotten it wrong. And instead of saying nine, instead of saying five nines, he was saying nine fives. We have nine fives of reliability. I've worked for that company. Which is like 55.5555. I bet you that product is, that product's cheap as hell. You know it is. Nine fives. Anyway, the topic for tonight, and this is Charles' concept, so if it's terrible, blame him, is about automated mitigation. So, Charles, you want to take it from there, and we'll just have a nice little discussion surrounding, uh, well, exactly that. Yeah. So automated mitigation. Um, what we mean by that is just the idea of trying to build some amount of self-healing into the system that's, that you're maintaining. Like, it's a good start just to have monitoring, you know, something that maybe pages you, texts you, sends you an email, whatever, if it's down. But... But if you could take that a step further, and in addition to telling you that there was a problem, you know, the system you devised might actually attempt to fix it, maybe even attempt to fix it before it tells you that there was a problem. Like, maybe you don't need to know if it's able to heal itself. So, I mean, we've been thinking about a lot of, thinking about this where I work, because we've been going through AWS's well-architected framework, which is a pretty good document, even if you're not running workloads in AWS, there's just a lot of good ideas that get discussed there. Some more, some are generally applicable, some maybe less so, but there, there are good principles you can draw out of there, even if you're hosting your own stuff or you're working with a different provider. And one of the things they call out in the section section on reliability is this idea of automated healing. For example, maybe having the ability to restart a service or even just to take some kind of custom remediation action. So like, let me give you a concrete example of like a really bare bones way of doing this. This is a real example involving two of the people on this show. We had... <laughs> oh yeah, fault. sorry, man. You're getting put on blast a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> so we had this uh we had a problem with some on-prem servers that um they not were running this some years ago, where we were using Gluster to host um uploads that were shared between multiple work or multiple uh web servers. And you know, Gluster's a in-memory file system like NFS. Kind of like NFS, and we'd noticed that over time there was some kind of memory leak. We never tracked it down, couldn't find it, and we tried everything. We spent days and days over a couple of years just we try this fix, we try that fix, we could never track it down, but we could watch and monitoring, we could watch as the memory just would gradually go down to um gradually go down to basically nothing and then eventually um system would start running out of memory killing processes pretty soon you have a dead web server that's not fun and it was highly available well sure because it was highly available so as long as the web server stayed dead we could run on like good node until we got in there to fix it 
but so then the first action we took which was this is terrible but anyone who and but everyone has done this we just set up a cron job to um in the middle of the night stop apache unmount all the gluster mounts remount them and start apache and it was staggered so it was like it was like the middle of the night on one node, twelve thirty on the other. This is terrible. Nate was outraged when we did this as what we intended to be a stopgap measure. Uh, that was like three years ago, it's still four years ago, isn't it? Oh God, yes. And you know what? It's been it's been rock solid. Um, so you know you can look at the memory graph on the system and you know, yep. this is peaks and valleys, but yep. it worked. You know, I would be willing yeah. to bet that there's a fix for that memory leak by now. Yeah, but we're not even on that scene now. You know, it's <laughs> like I don't I don't need to fix it at this point. The systems are pretty close to being decommissioned. But then but then we were able to improve on that in a different way. Um because something we had noticed, because you know, again, this is a this is a networked file system. So it is possible for something to occasionally interrupt that mount and the mount point becomes unavailable mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, and so we'd noticed that. And so this was different from the memory problem. And if it happened, and so if it happened, say, pretty close to when we did the mount cycling, then that wasn't a huge deal. But if it happened, say, after that, there could be problems. And we occasionally did see some weird behavior because it lost its mount and the mount wouldn't just come back up. So, you know, we put some monitoring in place to tell us if the mount went away. And, you know, it was just like a shell script that was just potentially detecting, hey, do you see, and we put like a zero length file in the root of the file system and just like, hey, do you, can you get to the file? And it ran every five minutes. Then we said, okay, we did that. But instead of just pinging us, that's like, hey, crap, can't see it anymore. Um, it's running of elevator permissions. Um, how about you try to remount it like once or twice before telling us it's broken? Not a bad solution. I mean, not it's, a bad, not a, it's, it's not, it's crude. It's not as elegant as it could be. Right. I mean, you could call it crude. I'll call it, I'll call it not as elegant as it could be. So <laughs> were these, you're using Gluster, were you using the Gluster native fuse mounting or were you exporting those as NFS? No, it was fuse, uh, Gluster native yeah. fuse. I thought mm -hmm. the, I, now maybe this is in the ideal world and the real world doesn't work this way, but I thought one of the big things about Gluster was that the client knows where all the Gluster nodes are. So if it loses one, it can still communicate to the others. Yeah, ideally, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Um, and it wasn't I, doing that. I don't. I don't know if I was still there with you, Charles, when this particular one happened, because I don't. You I don't remember the specifics. But that's probably what should have happened. It should have failed over to the other one, unless something cut off both of them. Which really yeah, and it was never happen. quite clear to us what the root cause was. But again, this actually this worked. Um, and, you know, we'd go back and check from time to time and we could see that there was the occasional failure and that the um, and that the script had actually been able to uh, remount the mount. And then it just, you know, it sent, did not then did not alert us. Because it's like, I don't need to know if it right. failed. I mean, unless it can't be recovered. 
Sure. And there was a threshold set. Like, all right, I think it was like 15 minutes, so three attempts. If you can't do it within 15, there is obviously some actual problem, you know, as like as opposed to some momentary blip, and we're going to have to go fix it. Right, right. Which hasn't happened. So basically what you're describing here is just automated tasks, right? Tasks that run in cron or tasks that are kicked off by some other thing that runs in cron um, or yes. you know, whatever, right? That are just very local and they don't necessarily alert, right? So the, the mm -hmm. concept here is instead of waking up an admin at two in the morning, it can just solve the problem on its own. Right. Yeah, and that was the specific use case because it had woken me up at like three in the morning once. Right, and, and so... And so not only not only does your admin or your web developer in your case have to not have to get up at three in the morning to fix the problem, it's resolved theoretically much faster, right? It's definitely going to be resolved faster. And it's like, I don't, there's an argument to be made here that there could be some underlying problem that's getting masked because there's a certain category of alerts that I've just chosen to suppress. Right. And that is something you have to take into consideration. Um, right. So so the, the, the reason I tried to elaborate on that slightly is because in my head, I'm picturing sort of a tiered approach to this. Right. So that's that's sort of the lowest level. Right. It's I guess the lowest level is you get paged and a human wakes up and solves the problem. Right. This, the next level would be what you, you just described. Instead of paging a human, the problem tries to solve itself. And if it can't solve itself, then it pages a human, right? And um, so you're right, though. In in that circumstance, if it's if it's the thing solves itself, but it's happening every ten minutes, and it's just solving itself every ten minutes. Yeah, there may be a bigger problem that you're missing because it's solving itself, and you're never told, right? Yeah, and naturally, I'm assuming. <sighs> The, the, the assumption would be that if that's the case, then you are going to see other issues. Theoretically, yeah. Depending on what the problem... Like, in the thing you've described, yeah. I think you would see degraded uh, web services. Yeah, people wouldn't be able to upload files. Right. Like, you know, and you then, would actually get some user-facing breaks. And every five minutes, they'd be like, oh, it works again. And then it breaks again. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So... so what I'm what I'm imagining then is the next the, the next thing that you'd want to make sure is happening there is there's some sort of logging or reporting happening, right? So when this happens, it doesn't just silently fix it; it logs something or it it sends a non-paging alert to your your monitoring system. So, but are we really are 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 we really seeing things that are fixing? Like, does the remount only happen if it detects there's a problem? The remount happens, in this case, in this example, the remount happens if it determines that it, it that the, um, the mount point has gone missing. Okay. Because the first thing where you're restarting Apache every night, mm -hmm. I would, I, that's not even, I wouldn't even classify that as it's automatically fixing the problem. It's an that's example. Just... <laughs> it's more no, like it's a workaround. That's <laughs> more like no, a workaround. No, that's, that's almost just like... What would I even call that? That's just that's just uh, that yeah. That's like a an automatic restart. It's a prophylactic effort, right? It is it, calling itself healing. 
It uh, is a twenty. It is an every twenty-four hour validation that our Apache configuration is sound. Yes, well, there you that's, have to look at it that way. That's just not nothing. Silver lining <laughs> aspect of it. So, so these are simple examples, these and simple and they're examples. great now, to illustrate the concept. But what about when things get a little more complicated? Because that's well, in, well, Mark, I'm glad the, you asked. In, in the defense of the sysadmin and the web developer, I'm not in making this, fun of them. In this I'm particular story. We had spent weeks trying to solve the problem, and Dude, the best yeah. we could figure is that this is a this is a memory leak within the ClusterFS Fuse driver, oh. Oh. which is why I said there's probably a fix for it by now. <laughs> oh yeah, there and I've done is. similar things too. I'm a fan of the I'm a fan of the nightly restart if that actually makes the problem go away. Right, but All right. So well, let's here's let's, a... let's dig in deeper. So here's, a, so here's an example that is somewhat theoretical and that we haven't done it, but we've pl we're planning to do it. Um, so we run our learning management system, Moodle, on AWS. Moodle? Moodle, Moodle, yes. Like Poodle, like with, Poodle an with an M? Poodle okay. with an M. It's the leading it's open source. It's, yeah. it's, it's Google Classroom without the Google. It's the leading open source learning management system. Cool. Um, and it's not terrible. No, not at all. I'm rather I'm disappointed if the if the uh, if the uh, not logo poodle. for it is not a poodle with a moose head. It's not a sorry. You're going to be disappointed. That would be great, though. You should you should suggest that next time. I'm going to put in a pull request for that. <laughs> so we uh, so we run on AWS. It's been fine. We migrated there last summer. Um, we had an interesting problem. Well, it's interesting now. It was not interesting at the time. We experienced a series of brief database outages over a period of about one week. Um, none was longer than about five minutes, but Moodle is a database-heavy application. Like, it has an internal cron that is running constantly. It's making many, many database writes and reads it so it's noticeable things will get unhappy um and uh, the root cost is not concerned us at this time so what was interesting from a remediation standpoint is that moodle had some internal tasks that were likely to break one is this job so moodle has this feature where if you're grading things like students submit assignments and whatever type of document they submit it will convert it to a PDF. So, and then when a faculty member is grading it, they can annotate it, like right in the um, browser. You know, they can mark it up, like if they were just like they're grading a paper. You know, doing yeah. pen and paper. Yeah. yeah. And it's very popular. So, the way that works is on the back end, um, Moodle takes every submitted document, throws it to the converter of your choice. We use Google Drive. The, and then if there's multiple documents, they get combined together using GhostScript, and then the faculty members off to the races. That background job is a little fragile, the one that's converting the PDFs. And so we, a long time ago, we slapped some monitoring on it just to make sure if the queue got too big, we got an alert. But we noticed that three out of, the four, three out of these four database outages, that process broke. And that job we have watching the queue only tells us at like 8 a.m. in the morning, which if it broke at, say, 3 p.m. the day before, 
We might have like 700, 800 documents queued. It'll take it at least the rest of the day to get caught up, um, which is not great. Right. But they said, you know what we could do? Because our process for fixing this is basically a couple of SQL commands. Like it's, there is no judgment involved here. Um, like the whole thing is, all right, do this SQL command, result comes back with X, do Y or do Z. Like I said, okay, so if we could throw an event from the monitoring system that would say, hey, Moodle blipped in this way and lost its database connection, go run this automation that runs those SQL commands against the production database to restore this job. Yeah. Because I know I will probably have to do that. Um, and the time it would take me to, all right, got to go get some access, run the commands, look at, no, just do it. So on AWS, the way you would do this is you would have, for example, you have a systems manager document, you know, an automation that has, um, you know, if you're like, okay, run this command, run this command, run this command, and then you wire it up to a CloudWatch event. So the key there is just, you have to decide what kind of event you wired up to. You, you just, you could blindly wire it up to, okay, the unhealthy host alarm went off. Please, please go check the right. state of my um, cron jobs because they probably crashed unclean, uncleanly and there's a lock that needs to be cleared, but nothing else needs to be done to fix it. So that's a more, that's a, I think a more advanced intelligent example where you are responding to a specific known failure mode with a specific solution. So is there any, uh, I guess the only real snag there would be, is there any detriment to running those fix commands when there isn't a problem? Like if, if there was no issue to fix and you ran those commands, would it then break it in a different way? Well, and that's a good question. Yeah. So ideally your fix commands don't have the um, potential of making the problem worse. Right. Um, in this case, the first thing you would be doing is, okay, so like to take the deep dive, we would wire this up so that first of all, we, we know that no internal cron job can run longer than one hour. So we would queue it up to run. Either we would, like if it were tied to the outage, we would tell it to wait an hour and a half before actually running. Um, if we or if we tied some other monitoring, we'd trigger it on some other condition. That is, we would make sure that the job is not running until we knew it was broken. Right. Because yeah, if you clear the lock and it's actually running, well, it's not the end of the world. You would just have a case where two tasks would be potentially processing the same data simultaneously. Right. Which may be not great, not terrible. Which may be. Or it might be crossing the streams. You know. Yeah, right. You could cause yeah, it, you could cause a black hole. Well, in which case, I mean, that's lunch. But um... <laughs> so um, I saw a talk at Red Hat Summit 2019 that described a very similar uh, a similar setup, except I believe it was using Ansible Tower, or maybe it was just Ansible, and a monitoring system such as Nagios or whatever, right? Where it was the same basic thing, right? And uh, what it would do, 
or what they were proposing. I don't know if this was actually in play at the time. Uh, what they were proposing was, you know, you'd have your monitoring system. Uh, it would detect a, a problem, you know, server is unresponsive or whatever, right? And then instead of paging somebody on its first action, you know, obviously most monitoring systems will give it a couple of failures before it actually pages someone. Well, in this case, instead of giving it a couple of failures before it pages someone, it runs automation, in this case with Ansible, that would then go and actually try to resolve the problem. Now, obviously, this isn't something that can replace like a thinking sysadmin. This is something that somebody has to have seen in the past and cooked up a fix for, just like your SQL lock thing there. Right? Well, yes and no. With Ansible and systems like it, which feature the item potent mm -hmm. methodology, you sim you can run the playbook or a puppet, I think, is the same thing, yep. which should, in theory, bring the system to a known good state. Sure. So it's not that the system administrator will have had it knows how to. It's like, OK, we're lost. But I don't need to know how to get from where I am. I, I'm I'm describing this poorly. Sure, no. So basically what, we know where we need to get to, but yeah. we don't have to we don't necessarily have to draw a map from every conceivable lost location. You just need to get back to where it's supposed we to be. We just need to yeah. say, here's where you need to go, go to this state. And so the way you normally do that in a puppet world is puppet is periodically checking back and fixing state like hourly Correct. or minutely or you know, daily or whatever, right? Because you define that it's on your puppet master. I think it's about a half hour is usually the. Yeah, I mean it, it depends on how you've configured it. But you can it. configure it, yeah, right. however you want. So uh, with an Ansible, I guess with Tower it's different. But Tower with, could schedule; with, it could fire it off. With normal playbooks without Tower, uh, it's it's always very like I execute <coughs> the thing now, right, and it goes off yeah. and it does it. Um, but what I'm suggesting is. It doesn't, it's not necessarily config drift that's causing your problem. It's, you know, it could be a file system filled up. It could be a server just ran out of memory. It could be, you know, whatever, right? And, sure. you know, server has gone unresponsive. What's the first thing you might do when a server has gone unresponsive? Reboot it, right? If it's fully unresponsive, cannot be reached on the network, go hit the IPMI device and reboot it. Or go tell your, your hypervisor to re reboot that VM. Or if you're in a cloud world, Destroy the freaking instance and make a new one, right? I say that's what that's our strategy with these, um, both with our you know containerized solutions, but also with like Moodle's running in two or more EC2 instances in an auto scaling group. If one of them goes catatonic or misbehaves, I just shut it down. Yeah. Um, Amazon terminates it, builds a new one according to our existing launch configuration. Now, if the problem still isn't solved, that tells me something. But at least I know that the system is coming out pristine. Right. Because there's either a problem caused by some sort of weird-ass live failure, or there's a problem in a configuration. Yeah. If the problem's in the config, you can restart as much as you want. The problem's not going to go away. Well, but if the problem's in the config... Or, re or, re or rebuild from a template as much and, as you want. But, and but yeah, you have it'll... the config defined in some way that you can reconfigure into a known good state. Mm -hmm. Then your your previous example of just fire off the commands that reconfigure it, right? That would that would absolutely fix it, right? So mm -hmm. you know if some errant you know junior sysadmin has gone in and changed your Apache config to listen on port eighty eight instead of eighty, 
<laughs> or 4444 instead of 443, uh, Puppet or Ansible or Salt or whatever the hell you're using for config management can just come back and go, that's dumb, fix it, and off it goes, right? So there's a, there's a related principle here that um, we've probably talked about before, which is that um, if this is how you're going to operate, and this is, is how you should operate, you cannot be making important config changes on the fly unless you are also, like ideally, if you need to make a config change to a production system, you know, you're making it in source control or whatever, and then like redeploying with that change. Yeah. Because if you're having to make those things live in production and then you don't go back and update your configuration. Yeah. Like, so oh, crap. I got to fix this. Oh, crap. We just lost those other fixes we made two weeks ago. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. Not so saying that we, happened. We but... talked about, we, we, or I should say, we talked about this in a sort of related manner when we were talking with Josh last week or last time we recorded. Mm -hmm. um, where he. Compliance. Right. He suggests that nobody should be making any changes on your production systems. He suggests that that should all be done in code, right? And then that is pushed out and it's done on your stage and dev and whatever environments before that, mm -hmm. right? And that's not wrong. Now, our argument was, sure, in a perfect world, that's exactly how things happen. <laughs> I think you strive toward that. Yeah, yeah. Like everything you do, you want to be getting closer to that ideal. Close um, to you. Do, Doesn't do, sound like it's from a Disney yeah. do, 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 do. Carpenters, man. Way older. Do, <laughs> oh, man. Do, do, do. Charles is getting close to you. Anyway. Yeah. Like, we try, you know, we try to, yeah, certainly, you know, you try to actually touch your production system as little as possible. Yep. But, you know, maybe, look, everybody's situation is different. Not judging, but. Um, totally judging. You know, it. Yeah, because certainly the, the there's an assumption of a lot of these automated remediation systems, which is that there is a known good configured state of the system and that it's safe to have an automated system interacting with it. And if somebody's been making unknown changes to production, those assumptions might become a little less valid. Yeah, right. very polite way of putting it. It's a family show. That's when it shit the bed. It was a family show. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I have been as guilty of that as everyone else. Oh, no, it right. It happens. And, you forget. Yeah. You're rushed. Um, production is on fire, and it's got to be fixed now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, right? There, there's always a case... I don't know, this this could bring up a whole other discussion of how many times are those cases where production is on fire and it has to be fixed now. Uh, how many times could those have been fixed by nobody touches production? You know, like how many times has it been, oh, I'll make this little quick change. And that little quick change six hours later has brought down the system, right? Whereas if nobody was allowed to do that, and they were forced to do it all in, you know, whatever automation platform you're using. And they were forced to do it all on dev and stage first, or whatever you're calling your pre-production environments. Um, would it have hit? Like, would you ever have a case? I mean, I'm sure you would at some point have a case where production is down and it's a panic moment. Those things happen, of course, mm -hmm. because of other they faults, happen. right? Because of Stuff things, breaks. Right. Things you couldn't predict. Hardware failing. 
Yeah, hardware failure or natural disasters, a, a load event or a bad guy attacking <laughs> your system. Like these right. are all things that uh, are unpredictable and are not because of human error necessarily. Stupid yeah. humans. I guess one other thing I would add to that is. Like I, I can't offer you know like one great solution for how to set up auto, automated mitigations, but I would say the way to start is um, have some runbooks, like have some well-described ways of solving particular problems, um, and see if you can really get it down to where it is literally. Step one, do this. Yeah. Step two, do that. Get it down, like just keep refining it down, narrowing it down. So you could look to eventually get to saying, say, you know what? I could script that. Yeah, right. You start with, I have predictable steps that I follow every time this problem happens. I've tried those steps out several times every time this problem has happened and every time it fixes the problem or some great percentage of the time it fixes the problem, 98% or something. Then can you script it? And if you can script it, can you script it in a way that it can then be triggered easily? Right? So like, can you make an Ansible playbook out of it? Can you make a puppet... Uh, module out of it or puppet uh what's the word i'm looking for whatever the thing they call it in public in, in puppet that i haven't I think, touched since i left the college i think they're modules in puppet yeah i don't know if modules is the word i'm looking for but maybe it is. i think it is okay i think those are the droids you're looking for those are the droids i'm looking for anyway you can go about your business can you can you make a a thing out of it in whatever your automation platform is and a then once in the place and then once you the once you have that done can you then trigger that from something like your monitoring system or some other third-party thing, right? That can detect the failure and then trigger the fix, right? So that's 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 the state you need to try to get to. You need a well-tested also, fix, you need it scripted, and you need a way to trigger it. And you have to also, like this is a discussion for a different day, but just saying to think about is, what am I monitoring? Like, what am I not monitoring? Yeah. And what should I be monitoring? Like. Like this cron stuff with Moodle, I was talking about. We're not actually really monitoring that because it's a, it's internal to the application. Like we can monitor if the web application itself is up or down, but it's got like fifty internal jobs. We do not have a way to monitor their state. We're right. working on one. Yeah. But you know that that gets that's application state. It's complex, but that like we've at least identified that we aren't monitoring that, and it's a problem. Right. Right. And how deep does that need to get? Right. So like sometimes there's a case of I remember and I don't want to pick on Jason, but it was him that did this. Uh, there was a there was a point where every time a serious vulnerability would come down the pike, he would write a a little uh, a check for Nagios that would go and check systems. Oh, I for remember. It, right. Oh, no. And then and then whenever a new system was stood up, it would get all these checks and some of them or CVEs from six years ago, right? Where it's like, this isn't even a thing that there's a chance we're not patching because it's included with the base operating system now, right? But we're still checking for them. <laughs> yeah, but if there's that one time. Right, right. And, you know, the initial, the initial reasoning for it was we have a couple hundred systems, or in some cases, not, not in our case, but if you're at a large enough place, we have thousands of systems and we don't know what's vulnerable and what's not. We'll write a quick check that'll tell us if it's vulnerable, and then we then we know what we have to fix it on. You know, it'd be pretty interesting and hilarious though if a new build system failed the heartbleed check. Yeah, right. You're, you're thinking of the same one I am. That's that's the one that every mm -hmm. system there was being checked for. Yeah, <laughs> I, 
I don't know that we've ever removed it. Well, why would you? <laughs> I'm surprised if anyone's even still managing your Negios instance. Oh no, that's all. That's all in order. It's just running on its own now. No, no, it's, we're actually going to put it on a blade. Did you have to take that over too? No. Okay. <laughs> it's going to get its own blade. No. Or a pizza box or whatever. Yeah, just so that it can monitor the. Um, Oh. monitor you know not be not be monitoring the, the very thing that's running on since that's been a problem in the past yeah right right mm -hmm. that yeah uh, no it's in good shape that's actually i don't know why but i'm surprised that well i don't want to go any further with that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think this has been a good topic do we have anything else to discuss before we go ahead and take a break i guess my concern with automatically fixing stuff would always be you know how often do these automatic systems start trying to fix something and they end up causing a cascade of nonsense that's worse than the original problem and i can't point to any documented evidences like that and i'm not asking charles to prove a negative you know yeah um that's what an anti-vaxxer would do. But, you know, how important, you know, how important is it and how hard do you think it is to vet these automatic, you know, when something's an auto healing thing? Because, well, I, you know, if I'm going to get philosophical, isn't, you know, basically you think of, you think of human diseases, the bot, the, sometimes the body's immune system, which is the auto healing becomes your own worst enemy. And it overcompensates or even gets cancerous. Well, right. I mean, you're asking, essentially, you're asking is um, what if we wind up with the uh, system's equivalent of an autoimmune disease? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. And I don't know that it's really answerable either in the specific, in the specific or the general. Um, Simple, just don't do that. Well, sure, right. You know, just, just be competent and don't <laughs> make mistakes. Just be competent and I don't mean, make any stupid <laughs> but, mistakes. No, but um, so I think the key there is number one, you said we were talking about, you know, having a very narrow run book. So you are tying a remediation to a very specific set of facts. Like if you encounter this failure state, do this. And then I think the second is, I can't remember if we talked about this or not. I like, I feel like maybe we did an episode called Imagining Failure. Um, maybe it might've been before my yeah, time. I think we might've just talked about it, yeah. but you know, but again, you have to, you have to kind of sit back and think, okay, what's, what's the worst case here? What does this look like if it executes like every five minutes? Like are the, what, um, how can this fail? Um, if it's expecting certain inputs, um, Make sure it bails out if it doesn't have them, so it's not executing based on null data. If you are relying on inputs, um, but even then, sure, it's entirely possible that there could be something you just hadn't thought of, and that has a negative consequence. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be really fact specific, right? Yeah. And you know, someone's going to come back with a war story. It's like. Well, we had this remediation, and then this bizarre series of circumstances happened, 
and then this awful thing happened, and now we have these additional checks in place to prevent that specific unlikely failure scenario from yep. ever happening again. Yep. And you hear that story. He tells that story at every conference he goes to, because it's just <laughs> it's like it's one of the defining incidents of his life. He's never going to forget watching it all go up in flames like that. I have one of those stories. We were there. The chaos monkey. <laughs> I was there. You were there. <laughs> is, we, is this like the third anniversary of that? I'm pretty close. I don't know. I don't have a pit in my stomach, so I must be getting over it finally. <laughs> you like Rev, Nate. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a really good point. So, you know, you should also think about like what permissions does this script have? Yep. Like, how much damage can this thing do if it does go nuts? Yep. What can it do? And I mean, honestly, you know, like we're we're thinking, like, what if it goes nuts, right? So is that is that like, <laughs> how nuts can it really go? You know what I mean? Regardless of what permissions it has, it's a script. It's it's prescribed to do a certain thing, right? Sure, you but like I mean? in the case of right, but like in the case of the database remediation that we're looking at, we would probably make sure they had it had. You would need right access to the database, but probably only on that one table that it actually needs to touch. Yeah, right. And no others. Right. Like it's not getting root database credentials. Sure. Yeah, I guess. How I guess could that's... it? How could it run the wrong command? Like, I don't know. But let's make sure that. But it like can't. your your previous example of the thing that's remounting all those cluster mounts, that probably has root access because it needs it to remount, right? It does. It sure would. Yeah. So. It does, but only on that box. Well, yeah, I would hope. Yeah. And ideally, it's just got pseudo privileges for a handful of commands it needs, not full root. Ideally, yes. <laughs> ideally, that's exactly how that should work. I <laughs> genuinely don't remember. It's possible that, that that's how it was implemented, but I, yeah, I think it's running as root. Because <clears throat> <laughs> that's just easier. It, it is. It is just easier. Look, sometimes all the best intentions of the, in the world are great, but you just need the thing that's easy and sometimes fixes it. Sometimes <laughs> when I touch. Yeah, it's fine. All right, so... Oh, no, I'm not trying to cause trouble. I'm just... No, no. no I, I agree. The, no, I but you're right, at, and it's and, a very important point. Yeah. And the thing that always fascinates me is the tales of, like, the chaos monkey. You know, the what they, the thing they'd release the thing Netflix, Netflix was doing, which, yeah. Yeah, where it's basically... It would induce You're chaos. Sitting, yeah. Per, you, you, yeah. Anything could break, and you've got to be willing to run the chaos monkey in production to prove that your system can self repair. Right. And that's quite frankly terrifying. It in, really in is. In a lot of ways. It really is. Unless you're that confident in your uh, automation. But when you when you talk about when you talk about an infrastructure like like Netflix or something, I mean, my God, you. You, you, you could never maintain that by hand. It's gotta, it's gotta automatically heal. Yeah, yeah right. Because it would just take too many people into, into yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't have, you can't have your, your, your global streaming service with millions of of viewers uh, be dependent on waking up Bob at two a.m. when. And we like Bob. Things are Bob is really good, yeah. but. Ah. Everybody likes Bob. All right. Everybody likes Bob better when he's had a good night's sleep. Everyone likes Bob better when he's got a good night's sleep. He can be a cranky. He can be a cranky pants, that's for sure. All right. So anyone listening, if you got any comments on automated uh, mitigation or automated fixes, um, if you've got a war story, if you've got something cool you want to share with us, feel free to do so 
hit us up with a review or, or comment on this or find us in our, our Discord community and let us know, uh, you know, what, what cool stories do you have? What have you done? What have you leveraged to automatically heal your systems? We, we kind of want to hear about it. I think it'd be yeah. kind of cool. I've only had one of these, but I'm having a really hard time decoding listener safe O's comments in Twitch, especially the yeah. do and be rise I hack. Think, I'm not really sure what that's about. I think he may be a he may be a bot. Are you a bot? Safe D zero. Tell us if you're a bot. That's a, and and saying you're not a bot's exactly the kind of thing a robot would say. Because if you're not yeah. a bot, we're happy. Tell to me have which you. of these. Tell me which of these pictures have bicycles in them. Yes, we need we need. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hate those. That makes you want to close the browser almost every time. It does. It does. All right, folks. Well, we're going to go to a short break. I don't think it'll be too long because we didn't go on as long as normal for our main topic, surprisingly. Although maybe we did. It has been like 40 minutes, hasn't it? Hey, look, there's there's what's his name doing. Wow. He's got to be a bot. But now I'm curious what the hell all that is. That's fun. Well, there's a... uh... All right, folks, we're going to go have fun with the bot. We'll we'll be back in a few. Are you a fan of the Iron Scissorman podcast? If you are, don't forget, you can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash ironscissorman. Or you can buy merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash ironscissorman. And thank you. And we're back. I've decided to trade in my water for... A hard cider. And he's trading in his water which, for a Cadillac. Ca, 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 little Billy Joel. May as well be like. You ought to know by now. What is 5%? I don't know. It just tastes like apple juice to me. Maybe I'm too used to like 9% stouts. You get for the money. Oh, you're trying. Now you're trying to flex because you're. No, I'm just saying that this stuff is like. It may as well. It feels like it's not even. It's. The cider is not supposed to. If you if you want to feel like you're growing testicle hair while you drink, <laughs> you need to drink you sip a... a you sip a bourbon neat. Okay. You drink an apple cider because it's delicious and refreshing. The alcohol's a bonus. Okay. Thank you for right? that, Mark. You flex with hard liquor, not with malted or beer type beverages. Okay. That's not a flex. Okay. Well, I wasn't trying. Never mind. All right. Well, you were kind of inverse flex, and you're like, "Well, this better you can better tell." That's I when I when I feel like I want to drink something, but I don't want to have to like you know like work at it. That's when I have a, a nice angry orchard. All right then. What are you having? What kind of beer is that? It's a it's a Reds. And so, what is that? Is it it's a, a hard uh, cider? It's a hard cider. hard apple cider. So it's probably delicious Where? Where it, did, again. Freaking. Cider's not supposed to cider. You, you, uh, an ideal hard cider, you should not even be aware it's alcoholic. Okay. A- am I wrong? Am I, I, I don't know, I like man. I'm, I'm not usually a room? hard cider drinker. It's just the only thing that's really in the house, and I felt like I wanted to drink, to drink something other than water for the show tonight. So that's why well, it counts. <laughs> and it can. All right. So instead of uh, going on about uh, whether I like or don't like uh, hard apple cider. <laughs> we're gonna go on and talk about the announcements all right so we have our usual patreon update we have i think we gained a new patron this uh this month which is cool we have 21 patrons for a total Hooray! of 95 dollars a month which is pretty cool that's gone up a little bit we had somebody upgrade 
to fit themselves into uh, one of our our new tiers, which is cool. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> tier. Tier. Wrong tiers. The English language is so weird. I don't know. Like, is there a better way? There should be. Maybe we should just say those words in some other language that doesn't. It's not as confusing, right? Like in German, do tears and tears sound the same <laughs> like they do? In... <laughs> it's an interesting question. I don't know the word for either one in German, but I bet you I can find out very, very quickly. Okay, well, I'll go through and I'll tell everyone who our patrons are, and then you can tell us at the end. How's that sound? So, um, Nicholas, Andrew, Tatro, Root is God. Bruce, Robert, Matt, David, Solemn, Trooper-ish, Linux Sys666, Skimpy B, Mark with a K, Dementor, John the Nice Guy, Mark with a C, Julius, Andy, J, Charles, and the infamous 22532. Thank you all for being patrons. Put your hands in the air. Put your hands in the air. Put your hands in the air. That's for you, too. Don't have it yet, do you, Charles? Don't have to go on longer? Should I read them again? <laughs> I do want to say thanks because uh, folks are are working their way into the, the new tier system uh, in Patreon, which means they, they fall into whatever perk levels we have. Uh, if you're in the $10 or more tier, you get access to like a behind-the-scenes sort of thing on show night through our, our Discord community. So if you want to see that sort of thing, you get an extra angle on the camera here, which is like up over my shoulder. That's what I'm pointing to. Um, and you, you get uh, behind the scenes audio of, uh, you know, sort of pre-show um, during the break there, unless, you know, we're doing something unseemly, like visiting the restroom or whatever. We turn that off. We spare you guys that. <laughs> but... If you're interested in that kind of thing, you have you can get access to it at the uh, what is it called the the junior admin or higher uh, tier on Patreon. Have you found it yet, Charles? I have. All right, let's hear it. How do you say tier like the things you cry? Oh, uh, that'd be trainer. Sounds kind of like train. How do you sell train? Hey, train. Zook. Oh, okay. All right. And what about tier like a level of something? Uh. Stufa. 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 I like that. that so they are completely different. They are indeed completely different. I'm kind of curious. A bunch of stufas? In, see, like I, I have this I have this feeling that in, in English, a lot of people have trouble understanding. A lot of people who do not speak English as their primary language have trouble with certain words because they sound so similar. And we're all used to that as you know being native English speakers. Is that a problem in other languages? Like in German, are there are there problems like that? I, I only I only bring up German because I know it's the the language that one of us on this show actually can somewhat at least fluently speak. Well, I would say the thing that about English that is a little challenging compared to other languages is that it is so heavily idiomatic compared to other languages. Like we have rules, but they have so many exceptions that right. I don't know how it was for you all, but. Uh, we weren't really taught them. Rules are for the weak. Oh right, you just kind of you just get them you from get use. It. Yeah, but yeah, but German, for example, um, the rules are generally consistent. The pronunciation rules, in fact, are consistent. So anyone who's had a year or two of college German can do the neat parlor trick. You give them a page of German, they'll read the whole thing off, and then you say, "Okay, now what's it mean?" Like, well, I have no idea. Never saw <laughs> half those words in my life, but. But I can pronounce it. Right. 
right. My uh, my six year old daughter is learning German as part of her her classes, and uh, I don't know. I I, t- I took one year of German in high school, and I had sort of exposure to it throughout my life because we have some family that's like native Germans. Like my my mom's mom was a native German, right? So it's not that far removed. Um, but uh, going through some of like some of it is is it's just some of it is confusing, right? Some of the, some of the way, like some of the, some German words are very similar to English words and some of them are completely off the reservation. (laughs) So anyway, language is a neat thing in general, just like where do these words come from and how did, how did languages come to be where they are? But that's not this show. This is this is like a sysadmin show where we don't necessarily talk about foreign languages, although it is fun. So, right, we were talking about Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to support the show via Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash ironsysadmin. If you'd like to instead get like a t-shirt or a mug or something, you can do that at teespring, teespring.com slash stores slash ironsysadmin. And the only other announcement that I have is that we are planning on a guest for our next show. His name's Alex, and he's from the self-hosted podcast. We've been talking about having him on for a while. Uh, because we had an episode where we talked about self-hosting and a lot of you guys reached out to us and said, you should have someone from the self-hosted podcast on. Uh, yeah, it turns out we work with Alex. I mean, we knew that, but yeah, we work with Alex. Mm -hmm. So, uh, (laughs) we're going to have him on the show and, uh, we're going to talk about, well, self-hosting and things. Uh, we'll work out a good, uh, a good set of talking points for that. I'm sure he has opinions. Uh, maybe he'll put us all to shame. I don't know. I don't know. And we got a new review. That's a cool thing, right? Like we like, uh, we like, we like reviews. So uh, Charles and Apple, n- not this Charles, but a different Charles. Unless it was you, were you masquerading as some other Charles? Uh, on Al- on Apple Podcast, simply says, "I enjoy listening to you all. Please keep it up." And he put two little, uh, two little beers as the uh, uh, emoji. That's the word I'm looking for. I haven't even, I've, I've had like three sips of this thing and I'm already having trouble with words. Maybe it's more alcohol than I thought. And uh, somebody, Mark, was this you added this other thing? You want to read your other thing? Yeah, here? yeah, no. We were on a, uh, we were in a, 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 a chat room at work, which is not really as creepy as it sounds. No, we were in a, a chat room at work uh, after an event and it seems there's like a a community like multiple red hatters who apparently listened to us that i didn't even realize i kind of had no idea to be honest and that's that's kind of they were that that that's kind of because the guy we're trying to get on has listened to episodes and then i think some other people kind of chimed in so i think we have i think we got a little bit of a fan base which i kind of thought was cool yeah yeah, it is kind of cool so yeah we're working on another guest we haven't scheduled or anything yet so i don't really 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 want to talk too much about it but uh, he's another red hatter, but he's he's uh, very much involved in one of the communities that you guys are going to recognize, and we've talked about it recently. And um, well, that's all I'm going to say for now because if it falls through or something, I don't want to disappoint anybody. But that should be coming up, maybe in a couple weeks. I don't know. We'll see. We haven't worked out scheduling yet, as I mentioned. And I think that's all the announcements I've got. Yay! Yay! Wait, should I? Yay! <laughs> All right.
so Charles is highlighting everything in my Google Doc, and it's very distracting. <laughs> the first time was an accident. Now it's deliberate. Now it's just C. C. Man, Dustin used to like change stuff on me during the show just just to see if I could continue reading, and then and then then Jason started doing it, and. Um, Oh man, I remember Dustin. How's he doing? I know, right? He was he was almost gonna be back on the show, and then we we scheduled him for a night, and he had to back out. And <laughs> we're like, all right, we get it. Want to try another night? And we just we were setting that up. And he goes, you know what, guys? I I'm just not gonna be able to. <laughs> so uh, yeah, unfortunately, as you all might expect, um, I don't know. Maybe someday Dustin will be back. If any of you remember Dustin, um, but at the moment, it's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine we get it life happens he's got like eight kids now or something i don't know that's an exaggeration i think he has like three kids two kids something like that so you know life's a little hectic for him and his wife so i completely get it <sighs> so i've been tinkering with my 3d printer again i know and now mark's gonna be like oh you go to 3d printer we heard i didn't realize you, you 3d print that's awesome yeah, totally so a do co-worker you, do, do you lift i don't lift i mean Are i lift you a vegan I lift the, uh, the the PLA out of the box, put it on the side of the. You printer. CrossFit? No, I don't. Yeah, right. That's CrossFit. That's just like when they throw those big tires around, right? Same thing. Uh -huh. Totally same thing. That one, what is it? One kilogram spool of of uh, of PLA is same thing, exact same thing. Anyway, what I wanted to say <laughs> was a coworker recommended to me that I try printing instead of using PLA, using PETG, which is another type of filament you can print in most uh, 3D printers that are designed to print with PLA. And it's just basically a different polymer. Otherwise, it's pretty much identical. It works at a slightly higher temperature, and there's a few other quirks, but they're really the same quirks you had to learn if you were printing with PLA. It's just that now you have to learn them again. Um, and it it makes these really... Here, I have... I printed a Benchy, and... I don't know how well you can see this on the camera because of the light and everything, but it is super smooth and rigid. It's like really... Oh, hey now. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, I, I like the results. It it feels better than, than PLA did. So uh, I've been experimenting with, with uh, learning how to print with PETG. That's awesome. And one of the things that uh, that happened, unfortunately, and I don't know if this is because of the PETG or if it's because the... So the, the build plate on the printer was like this, almost like soft plastic that had a texture to it. And the PETG stuck to it so firmly that it tore the damn uh, cover. So mm -hmm. I had to replace the build plate <laughs> on my printer. <laughs> so when I did, I got this stuff called PEI. I forget what it stands for, but it's, it's basically... Uh, they give you this like steel plate. It's like spring steel. And then over top of it is this like plasticky covering, which is the PEI. And it's like magic. You you print to it while the bed is hot, obviously, because you heat the bed as, as you're printing. And the either I've been using nothing but PETG on it, but I'm assuming the same as it was with PLA. It just sticks like really firmly to it. And then when it cools off, it just snaps free. You just flex the plate and it pops right off. It's awesome. So if you're 3D printing and you haven't tried PEI, if you're using a glass bed or if you're using uh, one of the, the standard beds that are like that, that softer plastic, 
uh, I recommend giving it a shot. I, I got this directly from Creality, who makes the printer I have. Uh, so it's exactly the right dimensions for for my printer. It literally just magnets right in place where the old one was, and off I went. So it was real simple, real easy upgrade. It wasn't expensive. It was like 30 bucks. As long as the thing lasts for a while, I think that's a perfectly legitimate price. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. I'm just happy to have my printer working again. Well, it, it was never really not working, but I had stopped using it for a little while, and then, you know, I damaged the bed, and then couldn't use it for a week or two. Mm. Mark, I heard uh, you're printing things again. Yeah, so Monoprice finally got the damn thing back in stock, which was nice because I had to have it replaced. And it turns out that in the frigging year that it took me to get this warranty replacement, um, part of it was me dragging my feet, but part of it was Monoprice not having it in stock. They re-engineered a very important piece. So on the print head, and I don't really want to drag it all over, but on the side of the print head, there's a little, a little sensor box that detects the bed. And the last two printers I had that went bad, it used this little, like, it used this, like, little ferro sensor thing. It, it literally, like, could sense the magnetic bed or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was apparently notorious for failing. Well, I put the thing together today, and I'm like, oh, various pieces of this, of this look different. Perhaps they've mended their sinful ways. Yeah. And it goes to like it goes to calibrate it and the printhead goes down. All of a sudden, this little leg sticks out of this box on the side of the printhead. <laughs> it's a little switch. Yeah. And it touches the bed and it's like, oh, there's the bed and it pops up. Uh huh. So they clearly decided that. Exchanging a printer at their expense for a 20 cent or 10 cent piece that kept failing, it was worth re-engineering for something a little more yeah. reliable. So the thing you described sounds like a BL touch. And that's actually, in my experience, in the people I've talked to, that seems to be like the standard way for doing what you're talking about, which is detecting the bed and auto leveling. You mean the little thing that, little thing that sticks out? Is it in like a, it looks like a little bulb almost. And then there's a little leg that sticks out the bottom. Well, it's the, the, it's like a little, it's like a little black house. Okay. Yeah. And then the little leg can stick out. Okay. I mean, you, you could make phallic jokes too. But sure. We're going with it's a leg. <laughs> it's a leg. It's totally a leg. But yeah, on the on the Creality printers, they have a thing they call a BL touch, which which bolts to the side of the printhead. Mine doesn't have one. I have to manually level it. Um, but it's 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 it glows red for whatever reason. It looks like a little. If you've ever seen a vacuum tube, it looks just like a vacuum tube. I know a lot of people that are 3D printing today are going to be like, "What? Tubes. What's a vacuum tube?" Well, it looks it's like a light bulb. <laughs> But where the tip of the, the vacuum tube would have been is instead this little leg that pops out and it does exactly what you just described. It can actually feel where the bed is and then it can auto level based on that. So, cool. Well, I'm glad your printer's working again. Yeah, no, I'm pretty happy about that. I see it's not printing anything right now, so you're not printing no, nonstop like well, I thought you would I didn't be. want to have to be... I printed the test cat. Which, oh, if this doesn't print on a monoprice, you've got problems, right? This right. is the known good G-code that right. print. Um, I've been trying to print some replacement uh, handles for the back scratcher because they've been break they broke on me. But they print on this little raft that's part of the design. Mm -hmm. And 
as it goes up the shaft and the, the printhead spinning around on it, and I know this sounds really obscene if you think about it the wrong way, <laughs> but what was happening, this happened twice, is it actually broke from the raft at the bottom. And I don't know whether the PLA is a little old or there was humidity or it's just I mean, uh, a, a poor design. Obviously, you've printed them before, or is this a whole new design? No, I've printed them before, but... It might not it might not have been this model even, right? This model of printer. So what I've got, I'm probably gonna try and re-engineer the uh, G code file so that it maybe prints that on its side, mm -hmm. even though it'll be this, I don't know. Or I'll just whatever. I'll just deal with it. But I it seems that I'm back in business. I had these so. I found them on Thingiverse. They're like pivoting shelves, best way I can describe it. They're like little little bins. Okay. And then there's a shaft that goes down the center of them, and there's five of them, and they uh -huh. spin on the shaft. So you, you mount it to the wall, and then you can spin them around. That's why they're pivoting shelves, right? And yeah. when I printed them, I had to print the shaft, right, which is probably eight inches tall. And I had the exact same problem. I tried to print it several times, and every time I tried to print it, it would get halfway through, and it would detach and stick to the print head, or it would fall over or whatever, right? And I ended up just laying on it on its side and printing it that way. And it came out not nearly as smooth as it might have if I printed it standing up, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's the funny thing about 3D printing is that physics is a thing. Gravity is a thing. Yeah. You can't print in, in the middle of air. So that's that's a that the first time you learn that lesson and it really sinks in. Oh, supports are important. Yes. You know, the geom the geometry of something is important. That's always a, that's always a bit of an aha moment. Not aha. the uh, not that uh, new not the eighties uh, band with the cheery hit "Take Me On," "Take On Me." Yeah. Anyway. Oh, was that was that aha? That was aha. That was aha. No, I know the song. I think that's one of two songs they're known for. Yeah, they were known. the other They they were known for "Living Daylights." From the Bond movie. I don't know yeah. if I know that one. Have you seen The Living Daylights? I don't think so. The movie, yeah, no, the, I have not. James Bond, you know. Bond, the, you know British it's underrated. License to Kill. Yeah. It's underrated. Was The Living yeah. Daylights, was that the one with Gracie Slick or no? Who? Uh, Grace, oh, sorry, Grace Jones. Grace Jones? No, that was the one before, View to a Kill. Okay. Yep. View to a Kill! Which also that had a pretty killer so uh theme song. Yeah, Duran Duran. I think it's the only Duran Bond Duran. song ever charted. <laughs> That's great. From Duran Duran. Oh no, was... come on. The Spy Who Loved Me. They played the crap out of that in the seventies when that one came out, or the eighties. Oh, Roger they did, Moore but by by I Harley feel like Simon. Thank yeah, yeah. heaven above me. The spy who loved me. He's keeping all my secrets safe tonight. Tonight's a retro night, man. Was it R.E.M. or Radiohead that did a pretty good cover of that? I don't know. It was Radiohead. It was I think Radiohead. Mark did a hell of a cover. Yeah, right there. Mm. You heard yeah, it first. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but other than that, yeah. So the 3D printer's back. My, uh, I, I've got a, I've started to buy UPSs. Um, in fact, the second one just arrived today. One of them arrived yesterday, and I was so happy with it that I ordered its twin. Um, the first one is plugged in under my desk, 
and is what Igor, my brand new lab servers plugged into, as well as my Synology and the network switch. That's a good because thing to have plugged into a UPS. Because, <laughs> well, between the occasional, the, the power company sometimes has interesting ideas about, I never have extended outages. I have like five second outages. That's a great thing to destroy suck. a storage array, though. <laughs> they suck. Because everything goes down. Yeah. Um, And I've been having, we've been having some work done on the house. So I had the guy banging on the side of the house doing siding. Fucker managed to, oh God, I'm sorry. He tripped his circuit breakers a few times. Because, oh, which took everything in my office He tripped circuit breakers by hammering on the side of the house? Because the the, the box was over there. And I guess the physical shock, breaker popped right um wow i'm just i'm just tired i'm tired of it i mean i could um, i could imagine that being a thing i suppose because i was exact, like a breaker is a spring-loaded switch right so yeah i i had the friggin' thing losing power once a day from this that or the other thing yeah and only one time was it because i accidentally knocked the cord out of it which was you know three stooges level but now i've ch- turned it so that can happen but so anyway i i picked up um APCs. They're yep. basically a power strip with yep. with the battery backup built in. So this guy, this guy is going to go into that plug back there and the power for the router and cable modem will go into that. So did, when uh... I have when I have a micro blick, a micro a micro fail, the 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 cable modem and router won't go out either. Yeah. And and hopefully, I mean, I have to imagine that the TCP/IP crap will still work because it's coming through the coax. It goes yes. out to the street. Yes, I can so, tell you that having your cable modem plugged into a UPS will save you in the event of a power outage, as long as that power outage wasn't caused by you know a tree taking down the lines two houses up from you. Yeah, and that's in fine. which case so your cable is po- probably down too. <laughs> yeah. So my point is, I'm trying to. I'm trying to stop these very brief interruptions that turn into a very disruptive interruption yep. of service because yep. the server goes down, the Valheim server goes down. That doesn't oh no. I don't have the I don't have that come back up automatically. When my router goes down uncleanly, sometimes the forwarding rules don't reload properly, and I gotta screw with that. And my the the VM that I had my IPA server on went had, I guess. The last last time it went down and I and tried to come back up, IPA wouldn't start properly. And I fussed with it and I'm like, whatever, I'm done. So I uninstalled IPA from that and then just installed IPA on the on the phys, on the physical host. So Igor <laughs> Igor's running my IPA server. As, what? That's a great way to solve the problem. <laughs> so so Mark, would you like to tie this back to the yeah. um, mediation dis- mitigation discussion we were having earlier? Well, <laughs> I'm done with this. Uninstall. <laughs> well, no, because I, I re-architected it. Okay. Yeah, okay, you re-architected <laughs> it. <laughs> Here, I'm going to go re-architect this that, wall in my yeah. house. <laughs> ha- having the DNS, because I use IPA for DNS primarily, and yeah. I'm eventually going to start using the actual other stuff on it. But I'm like, you know what? The, the, the DNS server should not be on a VM that's running on the hypervisor. I'll just have the hypervisor handle it. So it'll bring that up when it boots. And then all the VMs, you know, I don't have to worry. Hey, will my IDM server come up? Why isn't this working? Hmm. All right. What so what did the 
What did the UPSs cost you? I'm just curious. Uh, they're like 60 bucks, maybe approach 70 with taxes. Yeah. That's what I paid for mine. Yeah. And and honestly, honestly, if if they save me from like one irritating power failure, they're yeah. worth it. Yeah. Well, I have. So all of I'm my. Getting, I'm getting old and cranky. I'm all, tired of it. All of my computers that I use are laptops. So, of course, they have built in battery backup. Um, yeah, no, the laptop's never yeah. a problem. The, but it's um, all the other shit. In the basement where the cable modem is, I have a smart UPS 1400 from the days when I was still running a web host out of the house. From the days when you were born and running a web host. Yeah, yep, okay. those days. Um, so the cable modem is plugged into that, as is the machine that I'm using as a little lab box. Um, so, yeah, if if my power goes out, you know, the laptop stays up. Um, the, the, the switch that I have my ethernet plugged into does not stay up, but if it's a quick outage, it comes right back anyway, but the Wi-Fi and the router and the cable modem are all in the basement and they stay up. So yeah, yeah. it is, no, it just, is very nice to not I'm have just, to worry about that from just a quick power blip. Yeah. I'm just looking to protect from a very short blip. These yeah. things will probably not run. I mean, depending on the load. Well, yeah, that's uh, they're not going to have a huge runtime, but I'm not looking for a huge runtime. That's what a UPS that's usually is for. not a problem. A UPS isn't Why isn't to down? isn't meant to carry your workloads through. It's meant to give you a chance to shut them down gracefully, unless it's yeah. you know a, like a ridiculously large UPS that's meant to hold a data center up. But you're not going to put no, that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not at that level. So, yeah. but I've been, I've been. I, a friend of mine gave me a UPS and it didn't. And it, I thought it, it stopped working. And that's the and that was hooked to my old, my old loud airplane motor servers, like the yeah. jet going off servers. Yeah, and and it couldn't handle them. And so, and when I, I so I broke that out the other day after finally being frustrated, and I tried I saw I tried to get it to work, and it wasn't. So I'm like, screw it. I'm just gonna order. I'm gonna order one, and if I like it, I'll order another one for the for the uh, cable modem. So there you go. Funny story when uh, when I worked at that web host that I was at, there were it was me and one other admin, and we we worked in basically the same room, and there was a a long flat desk against the one wall, and we just had both of our workstations set up at either end of this desk, and underneath it was this big long power strip, probably had twelve plugs in it. It was probably a power strip from a rack, you know those ones you put along the side of a rack, mm -hmm. uh, but it was just laying underneath the desk, and we had all we had our workstations plugged into them. Well, the, the switch, why this thing had a switch on it, I don't know, but it did. And it was at the other admin's feet. And twice, maybe three times, <laughs> we're working along. He like stretches out his foot and you can you can tell what's coming. All of a sudden, both of our workstations go, get turned off. <laughs> yeah, who needs that? Finally, we got UPSs for the two of us, specifically to protect against him turning off the damn power strip. But uh, yeah, and then uh, Gagarin's back up. I um, I I installed a brand new satellite server in a VM today in my oh, lab. Good. So I set one I'm up the back other day in too. And I'm I've back been, in business. I've been tinkering around with trying to get build automation set up and stuff. Yeah, I just I need something to reference because yep. do all of them pretty much. Yeah, all of my customers use satellite. So 
A good subset of my new satellite. And I and you know me, I'm kind of involved with that with that group at Red Hat anyway, so I kind of need to keep my edge. Yep. So anyway, Charles, you've been waiting patiently. Looks like you read a book. I did read. While a book. waiting. You guys are all talking. It's true, actually. Um, you guys are all talking about printing things. I still read print matter. Um, <laughs> See, it's relevant. Hell, no, it's like I have no objection to ebooks. Um, I do read them, but they're paper there books something... are better. Paper books are better. You don't. I'm not even. Gonna, me, I'm not Charles. even going to make a. I'm not even going to make a claim of better. I'm just saying that I they're personally. I personally enjoy the feel of a book in my hands, of turning the pages. I appreciate a book that has decent quality paper, nice printing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, yeah, so um, I, agree I mentioned uh, I have a long-running interest in the Pacific War as the Pacific part of World War II for no particular reason. And I finally read Shattered Sword, which is not new. It was published about 15 years ago. But it is an English account, English language account of the Battle of Midway that draws heavily on Japanese archival sources, and it's pretty great. It's cool. I uh, it's thorough, comprehensive, and I enjoyed it. In in a similar vein, although not quite, um, I finally got my hands on Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries, mm. which everyone has talked about, and I'm, I finally started watching it. I've only seen the first episode, but. Uh, you know the uh, actor belts down. Not to try and spoil it. The actor Don't ruin it. Paul. <laughs> the actor who plays Dyatlov, Paul Ritter, just died a few days ago. Oh, really? Um, brain tumor. He was fifty-four. Oh, it's very cool. sad. I'm fifty-four. Yeah, I love Chernobyl, and this will sound weird, but I actually enjoy having it on in the background, like during the workday. Like this is not you easy going. I think it was you tweeted a few days ago. That like you were watching it again in the background, and that that made that just reminded me that I had never seen it and wanted to, so I went and found that's, it. That's one of those series that I think I should want to watch, and I never remember to watch it. I did watch the new monster. I watched the Monster Hunter movie that came out in twenty twenty. That was kind of fun. It was goofy. If you're not a fan of the Monster Hunter games, it's probably not worth it. I don't think I've ever played one. Say, yeah. That's uh, that's Paul W. S. Anderson, right? Yeah. Mello, directing Mila Jovovich is in it. Yeah, I mean it was I I I'm it's probably good dumb fun. Yeah, yeah right. It, it, and you but you guys might find it dumb fun, but hey, I I, I liked the Easter Resident Egg Evil hunt. movies. So yeah. did I. Yeah, but if you're a Monster Hunter gamer, it's a wonderful Easter egg hunt the entire time. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that only the pl- people who play the game will appreciate. That's cool, that's and cool. I appreciate that. I like those. All right, so I think that's it for chat, huh? We have a little bit of news for tonight. Let's see if we can stretch the news out for a good hour yet. Otherwise, this, this one, this first show piece is, is friggin' huge. The show is gonna be, it's uh, friggin' huge, but um, I think we on. don't need to go through all of hold it. Hold on, we, we have to do something first. So I don't know which one of you added it to the uh, the notes here, but I'll just go ahead and start off with, this is from Ars Technica, and uh, how the Supreme Court saved the software industry from API copyrights. And we talked about this on the show, wow, it might be two months ago now. Where, oh, even longer. It's probably last October. It's, yeah, 
<laughs> you're probably right. It's been a while, but they all run together when you're living through a pandemic. So, um, yeah, whoever added it, go. <laughs> right. So this is the long-running legal dispute between Google and Oracle over the um, copyright of the Java API, which um, Google was alleged to have infringed when it created Android. And this is this has been through the courts for years. And what was finally in front of the Supreme Court, and we talked about this last October, was basically this question of whether or not what Google had done constituted fair use under U.S. copyright law. The district court had said yes. The federal circuit had said no. And the Supreme Court said yes by vote of six to two. So it does. It didn't address the maybe the bigger question of whether you can or cannot copyright an API. Um, the Supreme Court just focused very narrowly on the question of assuming that it is possible to copyright an API. Um, did Google engage in fair use? And you can tell this is a Stephen Breyer opinion because there's like this four factor test and. The answer was yes, this is fair use. So I think we're done here uh, in terms so. of this dispute. It's over. Oracle has lost. I don't think there's anything really left so, to litigate. So I don't, want to, I don't want to cut this off in case you had further things to discuss, mm. but it nope. occurs to me, we're talking about lawsuits and people owning things. Um, did I hear that the, the ownership of Linux is now in question once again in court? Oh, God, really? I, I, I swear I saw this somewhere and I just did a quick Google search and I, I obviously can't speak intelligently about it at this point because I'm only Googling it now, but I heard somewhere that that, ha that has emerged from the dead. Has that e what would that even stand on? Well, this was, so remember in the 90s, there was the SCO versus... When I was versus... on a famous TV show? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Well, right. So apparently that's back. That's back in court. I was in a famous TV doesn't, show. Doesn't like Sun or Oracle or something own SEO now? Co different companies buy SEO every so often. Oh my God, you're right. It is back. That's what I thought. <laughs> Hang on. Reading. I will add this to the notes. Keep saying things. Keep saying things. Um, right. So yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I only I didn't follow the original case all that closely because I was only okay. just out of high school at the time, just starting my career. But even still, having you know, starting a career in IT, I heard about it. Right, I heard about it from other folks that were around. So, yeah, I remember those days, and uh, I heard recently that it was back, and I meant to look into it before tonight's show, and you know, completely forgot about it before the show got here tonight so okay this okay so first of all you guys shouldn't even really be talking about this because um I think I, ibm involved. being sued yeah okay ibm's being um involved. yeah you guys have unclean hands um you're accused of stealing somebody's intellectual property that's terrible uh so yeah anyway this looks <laughs> I like see mark has opinions <laughs> well, so anyway this appear yeah so some okay so a company called Unixis, now Zinuos, had bought like the smoldering remains of SCO back in 2011. Uh, and 
So I guess they've decided to gin up this lawsuit because they don't have much else going for them at this point. I'm just <laughs> skimming this ZDNet article. Um, IBM is treating this as not very serious. And I got to tell you what, um, if there's anything I fear in the world, it's IBM's um, copyright lawyers. So, yeah, right. I don't, uh, I don't imagine this is going to lawyers. So, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Like, anyway, you got to remember, like, back in the nonsense, but yeah, you're probably right. I can't. But, you know, back in the <laughs> bad old days, Microsoft was possibly bankrolling the lawsuit. And at this point, like Microsoft filed an amicus brief on behalf of Google in the um, Oracle court case. So, you know, Microsoft's come a long way. Yeah, you think? You think? I can install a but I can install my Ubuntu from an official repo on my Windows box. Microsoft has come a long way. Absolutely. I mean that's that's basically how how I get by uh not having Linux on this machine that I'm on right now. Because I need Windows for so many other things that are on it for like the media creation stuff that I do. And uh, I did for a long time have it dual booting Fedora and I almost never booted it because I always had to boot mm -hmm. back into Windows to do the stuff I needed to do on it. So Windows subsystem for Linux, it is, and it works enough that I can get this thing, the things that I need to do that I am used to doing in a Linux terminal that you just can't do, or maybe you can do in PowerShell nowadays, and I never learned how. Anyway, that's beside the point. So yeah, ownership, or I guess uh, there's more lawsuits around Linux. Oh, well. All right, we have another article. This one's from ZDNet. Cloud Linux launches... Alma Linux, CentOS Linux clone. Charles, was this yours or was this Mark that added this in here? One of you did. Charles Mark, added it. Mark, did you Mark add it? Mark remembered any news? what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Neither I'm did I. I'm not going to blame you. Yeah. <laughs> but I installed Alma Linux in my lab. Well, that's cool. That's That makes you an expert. Mm, not really. I mean, it installed. It seems to work. I'm, so I'm this is. Yeah. It's a downstream uh, rebuild. Like CentOS. Yeah. Like CentOS was. I don't know. Yeah, so it's just a brief note, but uh we covered we talked about this at some show that you know the dust up over CentOS being discontinued and what was behind that, what it meant and what might be CentOS coming. CentOS Linux. Yeah. Yes. CentOS Linux. Um so there is now um, Alma Linux, which um, is, I guess, a CentOS Linux clone. And is starting off as a... Uh, so It is a, bi as a binary compatible fork of RHEL 8.3. So it's not a CentOS clone, it's a RHEL, RHEL, RHEL spin or RHEL clone. Rebuild. Yeah, there we go. It's technically, yeah, it's technically what's called a downstream rebuild. It's yeah. not a clone because they don't touch the binaries. For, right. for, for users who care about the details, give me 10 seconds. Essentially, every product that Red Hat sells, we provide the source code. We're legally obligated to provide to our customers, but we put it on FTP servers or now GitHubs for the world to grab if they want. So we actually go above and beyond what the what the open source license says we need to do. And people can take this source code and do what they want with it. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing illegal about it. 
and so now to actually execute a downstream rebuild can be challenging because part of what makes rel rel is our build process internally including the, including the quality assurance gates and stuff it goes through yep. we don't give that away we're not we don't we don't have to and in fact that's part of our value if i may sales whore for a moment so what Alma did was something non-trivial, but the CentOS project has done it for years. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that there was some crossover pollination. They basically take the source code and they rebuild it. And it is, it is said to be, you know, compatible. It, it's basically compatible with RHEL and it's downstream because it comes from, uh, you know, RHEL as the, as the parent, as opposed to upstream, which would be Fedora. Fedora is the upstream community project that feeds into RHEL. Right. That was more than 10 seconds. It was, it was, but that's okay. It was a good description. So, I and, mean... And apparently, I'm told by people who, some people, that apparently we at Red Hat are supposed to be butthurt that Alma's released, but I wish them nothing but luck, and I mean that non-sarcastically or non-ironically because this is open source doing what it's supposed to do and red hat decided red hat the company decided they no longer want it to be in the downstream rebuild business for many good reasons and we we've kind of talked about this before and we might talk about it again in the future but for mm -hmm. folk who for folk who want red hat enterprise linux and don't want to run oracle which is you can run that for free uh, they now have an option. If you were using CentOS and you have no intention of paying Red Hat to run RHEL or now hate us because of IBM, well, you can run all Linux. Knock yourself out. Have fun. Salute. Yeah. All, all the best health to you. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know. I mean, personally, I see it as good, right? It is I mean, good. Obviously, I work for Red Hat. I like to see Red Hat succeed because I work for Red Hat. But... Uh, I was a long-time CentOS user before ever joining Red Hat. Before ever using Red Hat Linux professionally, I was a CentOS user. I ran CentOS you know on, on production yeah. workloads at previous jobs that couldn't afford or didn't want to pay for for Red Hat software, right? Um, and I'm, I'm a little sad to see it changing the way it's changing, but I also don't think it's the end of the world like so many people are painting it to be. Well, can, if I can tell you a dirty secret that's not really a dirty secret... Red Hat's not trying to go after these little shops. No, no. We, with their, the kind of customers Red Hat wants are honestly the bigger companies. The companies that everybody knows. So, yeah, we don't, we don't look at this as a problem. We look at this as open source working. Sorry, I'm just reading a comment. I don't get that. Yeah, I think stream is yep. great. I, yeah. I, I think yeah, there's, I some, there's some fud around that. And I, I, I think that the, the angriest people in the room are the ones who, who thought we took away a toy that we were obligated to provide forever for free. Uh, and, and that's the ones who yelled the loudest. But I think that's just it, right? We didn't take it away. We just changed it. Yeah. Right? But yeah. So... I, I think CentOS Stream is just as viable for production use as the old CentOS Linux was. In other words, not your best idea. If, well, if you're no, right. Your, so if, if you're going to run your business on it, you got to understand the risks. Right. And so, I hope it can self-heal. So that's that's what I mean, right? So 
if it was considered See okay. See what I did there, Charles? Right. Circling back. If it can self-heal. No, I said if you're going to run your business on Cento, on, on CentOS or Alma <laughs> Linux, you so, better be able to self-heal. You know, so here's you the thing. If, the risk. If, you're, if your business is okay or was okay with running CentOS 7 or 8 in production, and that's where you had all your eggs, right? I don't think that, C- that's, that CentOS streams is any worse for that, is what I'm saying. It's the same base OS. You just receive updates in a different way. You receive updates more frequently. You still get to control when the freaking updates get installed. The only difference is it's not downstream of RHEL. Now it's upstream of RHEL. That does not mean that it's RHEL's alpha. No. It just means you get packages before they come to RHEL. So, anyway. Yeah. I don't want to go back down that rabbit hole again, but... uh... (laughs) Dead horse. (laughs) It came up. All right, so I think that's the end of the news, and uh, we're going to have to blather on some more because we're not even at two hours yet. No, we could just get the show in at time. What? Just saying. That's crazy talk. That's weird. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. All right, so I guess that's it then, guys. Who's pinging me on Slack? What the hell? I don't know. Is it someone that wants to come in and make the show longer? Oh, it's A.O. He must be listening live, but he, oh, good. he reached out to me directly on Slack. Oh, hi, dude. The timestamp is in the middle of when I would have been ranting about the UPS stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. Very good, A.O. Well, why Thank isn't, you. Why isn't he in our Discord pinging you instead? That's where he should I be. don't know. He was there. I'm not, it's not my night. He's there. He's him. even online. I'm going to, I'm going to complain to him I right s- now. I don't see him online. I see him with the little sleepy moon. Oh, good point. Well, it just means he's, well, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we are rambling at this point. So folks, yeah. uh, let me, let me get my, my little script here. I guess it's not a script, but whatever. My little points here that I have to cover at the end of every show, which is thanks for watching or listening. If you want to watch us live, you can do so by finding us on Twitch or YouTube or even on our Facebook page. Uh, we go live the second and fourth Thursday of every month, unless Still for some reason for we MySpace. have to move that. Yeah, we we don't stream to MySpace. Although we we could stream. I hear you can stream to Twitter. Maybe we'll start doing that too. Should we do that? Ew. Stream to Twitter, Periscope, YouTube, uh, uh, Instagram, TV, or whatever. Let's just find everywhere we can stream to, and we'll stream. We'll get all. We'll, we'll just be like stream whores. Stream everywhere. We're going to stream to, like, Pinterest. Can you do that? Can you stream to Pinterest? We're going to do that, too. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry I opened my mouth. Remember, uh, YouTube.com slash Iron System and Podcast or Twitch.tv slash Iron System and Podcast. If you want to join our community and chat with us or get in on some of the cool backstage uh, uh, stuff I was talking about, you're going to have to do that through our Discord community. And that there's a link for that in the show notes, or you can find it on ironsystemin.com. Uh, you can find our Facebook and or Twitter accounts pages by going to Twitter or Facebook and looking for Iron Sysadmin. And you can subscribe to us wherever you would normally find podcasts. And if you can't find us on your favorite platform, let us know. We'll figure out how to get added there. Let and us know. Let us, let know. us know. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to get like sound bites of all those. So if you ever miss a show, we can still play them. Yeah, just because, you know, you don't want listeners to miss out on that, right? All right.
And of course, if you want to support us via Patreon, you can do so. Patreon.com slash Iron Or you can buy merch on the Teespring. Teespring.com slash, what was it? Stores. Yeah, slash Iron And with that, I don't think I have anything else to talk about. So say goodnight, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye! Not all. I gotta find the... I gotta switch to the, the thing. I wasn't ready! Here it is. <laughs>